0: you're listening to the hopped up
1: network the show you're about to listen to is part of the hopped up network's growing family of craft beer podcasts in the u.s and canada i think it's great find this show and others like it at hoppedupnetwork.com. the spot for informative and entertaining craft beer podcasts i love it i love you guys
0: you're listening to the hopped up network this is neil fisher from Wildworks brewing company and you're listening to the pints and provisions podcast
2: you're listening to the Pints and Provisions Podcast with Evan, Mark, Ryan, and Dan. You're listening to the Pints and Provisions Podcast with Evan, Mark, and Dan. Oh, I forgot to some... I can't remember. Cool. Yeah, we usually shoot for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And usually, um, I actually never, never at this point never do a whole lot
3: of that. Nice, so. That's good. I'll try and, I'll try and uh, key into that as well. Like. <laughs> Keep that straight. <street. laughs>
2: All right, welcome back. Pints and Provisions podcast. Uh, this is Evan here. Uh, Brian is here with me in Dunlap, Illinois. Say oh. hi, Brian. Hey, hey. And we're going to be doing our first transatlantic podcast here with uh, our friends over in Brussels. Now, Chad uh, is over there with his wife um, on assignment, but he is a good friend of Brian's from back home,
0: right? Yes. And Next correct. door neighbors.
2: And uh, they brought Owen into the fold here. He is the, uh, I guess, writer for the beer blog Brussels Beer City. And as Hi far as 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 far as I remember, he's the one that got, uh, got to take you guys around when you went over there to celebrate your 40th. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, Owen gave us a a tour of some of the the bars in Brussels, and we had some some excellent beers and drank too much, and it was was a good time. So we're going to bring him along to talk. Go ahead. The most important thing
3: about that tour that I realized was, as a tour guide, don't drink with the guests because... uh...
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that made it much more fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you don't want to keep up with the guests, maybe. I mean, because he's celebrating his 40th birthday, and you're, you're trying to help out. Um, well, I guess we started off with this uh, Terrace Bulba. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this?
3: Um, yeah, Terrace Bulba is sort of, I think it's probably the most widely available from Brasserie de la Seine. So, de la Seine, a local Brussels brewery here, um, but probably one of the most famous in the country at this point. Um, and the beer itself is a beautiful, light, very low in alcohol for Belgians' it taste. It's about like three, three and a half percent. Um, the idea behind it was a very. Um, thirst-quenching, drinkable pale ale. Uh, the owner of Brasserie de la Sen, he, he is a huge fan of English-style uh, bitters and pale ales. So he just wanted to make one of those for himself. Um, and I think probably it's most famous because of the label. Obviously, we're on a podcast now, so it's it's a... <laughs> I can't, can't show the listeners the label, but it's it's a classic de la Sen design. Their designer is a, um, a cartoon designer by trade, so he... Um, Draws for uh, comic strips in Belgium, and all of his designs are really that sort of comic book aesthetic. Very funny, with a lot of sort of Brussels folklore behind them, which is which is I think why it stands out a lot.
0: What I thought was interesting when I was reading Brussels uh, Brussels Beer City about this is that you would think as mm. hop, as hoppy as it is, um, or reasonably hoppy, is that uh, they originally brewed this. I would think, oh, this is kind of new, given the hop, given the amount of hops, how hoppy it is. But it was from what they brewed it uh what 2004 or something like that 2000 somewhere there
3: yeah it was so this was the second beer I ever brewed commercially so the first one was zinnia which uh hierarchically is probably actually my favorite <laughs> compared to Taras Poulba. um so yeah but back in 2003 2004 this would have been on belgian taste extremely hoppy now it's bitter but it's nothing it's nothing off the ibu scale yeah but so, you have to think about. Belgian beer, hops aren't, I mean, they don't really, hops isn't a thing in traditional Belgian brewing. It, they just, they're there to do what hops have to do, but beyond that, they don't really focus on them. So when this came out, um, a forerunner of of, of Darius Bulba would have been XX Bitter. I don't know if that gets across to the U.S.
0: Uh, I think some Deronk does, but uh, I have some in the fridge yeah. from my shipment, but I don't know if we get that.
3: So like XX Bitter would have been a big inspiration for this. And they brewed that as they wanted it to be the hoppiest, bitterest beer in Belgium. And (laughs) and and it was for a decade. I mean that was from the mid nineties. And then Taras Bulba came out and that started really a trend of hoppiness becoming a thing. You know, it's like death to sweet, sugary triples and doubles, drink something that you can drink, you know, ten of them. You
1: can't drink ten Westmall triples. Well you could, but (laughs) it's it's
2: probably not a good idea.
1: No. (laughs) Well, Brian tried to during his uh, birthday uh, pub call that uh, Owen did for us, and uh, you know didn't work out so well. Yeah, I I unequivocally
0: love this beer. I think this is this is a great beer. And interesting, since we're talking uh, in Illinois to to you guys in Brussels, uh, that the most recent uh, beer that uh, De La Sin announced is a collab between Half Acre out of Chicago and De La Sin. And it's nice. and it's going to be a, what, a Belgian, have you had it yet, Owen?
3: I haven't, um, I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen other people drinking it. It's, so it's like a Belgian IPA, I think. Okay. Um, or a Belgian
0: American IPA. Interesting. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to have to get some of that somehow.
2: Well, what I like about this too, and today here, it's one of these hot, sweltering, um, uh, very humid days where it's almost oppressively hot and something this thirst quenching because it's got that nice dry finish um, is really great um, even though we're sitting here in the air conditioning yeah but well, you know was it? I'm always yeah.
0: on the lookout for a pool beer or a lake beer and uh, I don't know how many pools or lakes there are in <laughs> Brussels but this, this is a great one
3: there are none. There are literally zero <laughs> sort of swimming areas, so you can just sit on the hot asphalt and drink this. Well, you can inhale this. I mean, my glass is almost empty. We've been drinking this for, I'd say, a couple of minutes, and yeah, it's it just like the same thing, yeah. automatic, just like there and back, there and back, there and back, and that's exactly what, like, you talk to Ivan, the brewer from Delassène. That's exactly what he wants. He wants a beer that people will drink again and again and again and again and again, and, mm. and you know, and that's all the Delassène beers are like that. You know, I don't know if you've had a chance to drink any more of them. beer is a little bit punchy because it's got more alcohol in it. But a lot of the De La Seine beers, as you were saying, Evan, that sort of fine bitterness that just yeah. disappears. You know?
2: Yeah, it just is. And that's that thirst quenching capability of it is once it disappears, you're kind of ready for another taste. Ready to like bring it back to your palate because it's it kind of reminds you like this is beer. You can drink as many pastry stouts and New England IPAs as you want. Um, but at the end, you know, sometimes you always just want a beer and a nice hoppy bitter beer. And this
0: definitely fits that. That makes you yeah. want another one. It makes you want another one. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Sometimes, you know, you drink a treehouse beer or, a, you know, a New England IPA. It's like you don't always want another one after that.
0: Right. And you can't. And then you're like, well, I'm good for dinner and I don't need breakfast tomorrow. So.
2: Well, should we stay on
0: well, the. The thing
3: that's most exciting is. oh, sorry. The thing that's most exciting about Dallas N is that they're building a new brewery right now. And one of the beers that Ivan wants to brew once it's up and running is a Pills.
2: Yes. And I
3: think, I think probably, you know, most of the craft buyers in Brussels would melt down with uh, anticipation once they finally put that out. So I think <laughs> if anyone in Brussels can do a Pills like that, then it's going to be those guys.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you suggest we stay on the, um, the De La, La N So our next one, what did Chad go get?
3: Yeah, so we have a bottle of um, Bruxellensis Reserva.
0: All right. As do we. we very good. Um, See, so This is, the, this is and, the beauty
2: of doing this podcast is because we have the same beers and we get to sort of drink them together, you know, transatlantically and um, just through the magic of internet. I know.
3: It's just what a coincidence that we both picked out this really excellent special beer that, <laughs> yeah. that you can barely get outside of Brussels.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, we just went down to our local bottle shop and <laughs> happened to pick the same ones.
3: So ours is a bottle from it was from February 2018. We're pouring. So it's been fermenting away or re-fermenting away in the bottle for yeah a good year and a bit. A so nice it head should on be quite dry. Um, I haven't opened a bottle of this in ages.
0: Oh man.
2: Get that nice yeah. uh I
3: well, mean yeah, oh,
0: oh. ours is Feb- February twenty eighteen.
3: The minute you sniff that you should be thinking one Belgian beer.
2: Um or there's only one other Belgian
3: beer that really smells like it. it drinks like it. And that's Raval. Yeah.
2: You mean the, the uh the most famous and best beer in the world?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, brave is the brewer. Uh, brave is the Belgian brewer who attempts to do a, I think probably uh, you'd say an homage rather than a ripoff. Um, of Orval.
2: So let's see. We've got ours is bottled February 2018. You said that was about mm-hmm. the same, yeah. So this is a barrel-aged local Brett pale <laughs> ale. Um, yeah. By again uh, De La Senne. Uh six point five percent. I like their um, – they do a nice job with artwork on theirs too. Same with this. Kind of yeah. a nice, colorful. All right. You can immediately get all that Brett right up front. Pours nice. Got a nice, good head to it.
0: And I think – I haven't had this before, but I think uh, I had a – how did you say it? So they've got a, a normal – How what how, to, how bad did we mess that up, Owen? No, no,
3: no. That was good.
0: Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, so I had the regular one at some point, and I and I had the bottle, the reserve. I was like, okay, I'm gonna save this for something. So excellent. I'm glad to have this. this is a...
2: now this is great. It's another. It just yeah, it kind of reminds you of a good Belgian beer.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit sweeter than maybe the traditional, the non barrelated Bruxellensis would be. Um, I'm just uh, I'm this is not off the top of my head to be brutally honest. I'd forgotten what they paralyzed it in, so I just googled it. Um, so it spends six months in Nuit Saint George wine barrels. Hmm. Um, so it's a little bit sweeter, a little bit fruitier I think than, than the than the standard, but also I mean, because it has that bread in it, it's been it's been fermenting away there for a good long while. It's still quite dry. Yeah. There's that kind of classic Delascent bitterness behind it as well, you yeah. know.
2: So, Owen, oh, tell us a little bit more about your blog specifically. So, when people, you know, go check out Instagram, yeah. Facebook, like what they're going to what they're going to be getting.
3: So, I've been writing for Brussels Beer City. Um it'll be 2 years in July. Um basically the blog or what I write about on the blog is just anything that has a connection with beer and Brussels, essentially. So, for me, I had at least two failed blogging attempts about Brussels before. <laughs> um, which is always good because you know you slowly slowly narrow down what you want to write about. Um and um 3 years ago I, I enrolled in a beer sommelier course here in Brussels as well. Uh so I figured in order to justify the cost of that then there's um, <laughs> an opportunity to merge the failed blogging attempts with um the beer knowledge. Um so basically yeah I write about a, a brewery profiles sometimes so uh, De La Senne, for example, um, written about Cantillon before, uh, but I don't, it's not like a review website, we're not talking about the beer specifically, but it's more to do with, you know, the history, the architecture, the culture, the tradition. Um, it's sort of beer plus is always my attitude towards it, you yeah. know, it's beer and something else, and what beer says about the city now and then. So my, my favorite bits are writing about, like, the breweries that don't exist anymore, <laughs>
0: um,
3: or one of my favorite articles I wrote was about the impacts of climate change on um, Lambic brewing, um, and how those kind of the cultural hinterland of beer or the cultural cultural hinterland of the city combined to tell an interesting story. And I know that sounds very pretentious, but you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome. I
2: think you're speaking to a I think you're speaking to a yeah. crowd here that probably understands. So, what is what is, what do you think what is going on in Brussels beer right now? Because basically. I think at at minimum, you know, if you go to the grocery store anywhere here in the United States, in terms of a Belgian beer, you're probably going to find a lot of American breweries doing Belgian style beers, but Belgian beers, you're going to easily get like many of the Trappist, if not all the Trappist styles, which are all very, you know, I think kind of, you know, you got your blondes, you got your doubles, triples, maybe a quad and you know, that kind of, there's not a lot of range in style there. And so... Some people either really like them or they don't. But beyond that, you don't find stuff like a ton of Brett, a ton of uh, these, you know, sessionable hoppy bitters, things like that. So, how do you? Is it? Is it? This kind of stuff starting to reach us? Is it? Is it going to? Or is it catching a lot of wind there in Brussels?
3: Um, it is, but I think you're you're sort of at an interesting moment in Brussels. Brussels, maybe more specifically Belgium. We can talk about it later as well. But for you have to think about it. Brussels drinkers and Brussels brewers have two of arguably the best breweries in Europe on their doorstep when you talk about De Seine and and Cantillon and I think that that makes drinkers and also brewers a little bit conservative in their in their tastes and in their approaches to drinking and to brewing because they're not really going, uh, Belgian drinkers and Brussels drinkers, they don't want that far out stuff. Like pastry stouts as a, as a, as a trend has not really penetrated very much in Brussels and in, 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 also in Belgium. Um, and because you have such established styles, it's hard for people to do something really stunningly excellent on, for example, like a new Belgian triple or a double or even a Saison. I mean, we have Saison Dupont, you know, as the sort of the standard, which you can get in a supermarket, 25 centiliter bottle. For, you know, maybe one euro fifty, which translates, I guess, maybe one seventy five or two euros, two dollars. That drive to find new breweries, it's not really there that much. You know, people like what they drink and they drink that, you know, mm-hmm. and they're very loyal. You're seeing a bit of a change now, um, less so with the US influence, but very much from what's happening in the UK. You get a lot of UK brewers coming up, sending some of their beers over here for tap take. And what you're seeing in Brussels, in particular, with the new breweries, is that they're taking their lead from them. So whatever happens in London, you might see six months or eight months down the line is happening in in, in um, Brussels. So things like porters, um, we got some. We've started getting seeing some cask ale actually. So local brewers brewing cask ale.
0: By the way, I enjoyed the uh, recent it, article on uh, cask ales. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that was a very subtle hint. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like. I always what I what I always think is that Belgian brewers can be more ambitious, you know. Yeah. We don't we don't need one more double or triple or blonde, you know. If you want to drink a blonde or if you want to drink a triple, you drink a Westmalle or maybe something something similar, you know. Or if you want to drink a saison, you drink you drink a saison Dupont. And um, but what you still see nowadays is people setting up breweries, putting out those same styles again and again and again, and it's, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. And I think that's what we really see—a couple of standout breweries who are really just trying to do something different, and they stand out because they're so—they're the exception rather than the rule. I'm thinking of it, in our city, we have um, a, a brewery set up by three guys, three art graduates, called Lermitage, and they really take their lead from the U.S. and from the U.K. So they're putting out—they're doing some barrel aging, they're doing some porters, they're doing some mixed fermentation, interesting stuff, but they're also doing really hoppy pale ales and IPAs. And they stand out because they're off- offering something different. They're doing it pretty well, and they have a good brand and an image, and they have an identity. Where a lot of, I don't know, maybe Chad, living in the city, living in the city for a year or so, it's like you see a new brewery come out, and you're like, yeah, okay, blonde, double, triple pale ale, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the story? Oh, it's some fifty-year-old guy who's gone on early retirement. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit nest and he wants to brew something for his buddies. And you're like, all right. And as a beer writer, it's like, well, what's you know? People might get people sometimes get obsessed. Like, why aren't you covering this or that brewery? I'm like, well, what's the point? You know,
1: it's just you just it's like A plus B equals C. There's a template there that's not very interesting. You know, Owen mentions uh, La Metage. If I say that properly, yeah. uh, um, I would recommend that all the folks from the states who are coming over on a, bil- uh, a beer pilgrimage to check them out, they are very close to Cantillon. So everyone comes over to do their, uh, you know, beer tourism, goes to Cantillon. It's worth walking probably three blocks, maybe. Maybe not even that. Not it's even like to uh, L'Amitage, uh, just to check out kind of the, the micro-brew scene, a little bit more like what folks are used to in the States because as a consumer, that was one thing that was a little surprising to me. Now granted, I did no research on, uh, you know, buying beer and, and, and the pub life here. Um, But uh, moving from the Tampa Bay area, we were very accustomed to going to a tap room at one of the local breweries and just, you know, hanging with friends and drinking beers there. Um, And and that doesn't really exist uh, anywhere near the level here that it does back in the States. You have a couple of breweries now, Brussels Beer Project being one uh, that has a fun tap room that a lot of folks in the States would uh, relate to. But even there, they're only open two or three days a week, maybe. Um, and then Cantillon, you know, closes at five. So um, they're monetizing, you know, the the after work uh, folks or tourism. Uh, Tilkin, which is one of my favorite uh, blenderies uh, here for for lambic, are only open for either two and a half or three hours on Saturdays. Uh, wow. Their tap- yeah. yeah. So it, it's the you know monetizing uh, that tap room. Uh, has, has not permeated here. um it, It's just a much different culture that the brewers and blenderies apply to their consumer. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, that that sort of attitude of drinking in the
3: brewery is very much like why would you want to drink in a brewery? Just go to the cafe around the corner, who's owned by the well, brewery. Well,
2: you, you guys, you, you guys probably don't deal with the three tier system either, though.
3: No which yeah. is I think
2: which is I think why the taproom model for most breweries here in America is why they do it what they do because they have like little to no overhead with the middleman and they can get their their product the freshest the fastest to customers and that's a way for customers at least you know to come in and like at the local brewery to meet the brewer talk with the brewer talk with the people that are actually helping make the beer and that's the experience that they want here whereas <clears throat> you know you may go to one of these um I would call it like let's call it like a regional brewery. Let's say you go to Lagunitas, and they've got a couple of locations across America. Now. they've got one in Chicago. Now granted, they do make some up there, but you're not getting the same experience out of that than when you go to Bearded Owl Brewing here in Peoria, where you sit down, you the brewer's right there, you can talk to him about the beer. But that's a way for them to get it direct to their consumer, because if they try to compete with shelf space here in America, no one would ever, people would look right, look right by it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think maybe, like, it speaks to two things. You know, Belgian brewers like to brew. That's it. You uh. know, the traditional <laughs> Belgian. They sure, don't want to talk. They like to brew. They don't really like to talk. A lot of them like to drink wine and duty, less beer. Um, they they're not really interested in that whole sort of hospitality side of things. You know. I see. I see, and that hmm. speaks to a Belgian culture as well. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a consumer, it's not a service-driven culture. You know, shops close at six, and if you're in the shop a quarter to six, they'll ask you to leave. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, why some of these places are so, like if you come as a beer tourist to Belgium, it can be quite hard to see the breweries that you want to see because, like Chad was saying, you know, Tilkan is open three hours on a Saturday. If you want to go to Dupont, for example, to take another example, normally you can't go as an individual. You need to organise a tour. Of at least ten people at a certain time, and then they'll do a tour for you. You know, <laughs> it's, they're not op- there's not an open door brewing culture. You know, it's it's just it's just it's just an exist. And I think maybe less the style the style influence in the US. It's more the 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 sort of tap room and brew pub culture. I think is more coming over. So we talked about Lermitage, There's a new one opened in in, in Ghent. Um, you're seeing the new brewers are latching onto that kind of tap room tradition of. Getting the, getting the consumers in there, talking to them, drinking at the brewery, doing that exchange, and also then circumventing the the challenge to get tap space because, you know, we, this is Belgium, one of the world's largest brewer, and even breweries like Brasserie de la Senne have to fight tooth and nail to get space in bars because it's just like AB Inbev and Bev and the other big breweries, they own such a huge network that it's very yeah. hard for a new breweries to get in.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we could, uh, Owen, mentioned that the breweries owning the, the the bars and cafes. I mean, we want to turn this into a business podcast, but I, I, I thought that <laughs> that was an interesting point. Whenever we first got here, that I didn't understand. So maybe Owen, you could just do a couple minutes on how the the breweries own most of the cafes. They are branded cafes. Uh, most part all across Belgium. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a business expert, um, and
3: I don't want to get myself in, in, in trouble talking about <laughs> things. That are outside of it, but I'm very much a long-form, pretentious beer writer. Um, but what you do have often is either the, the breweries will own a network, or via an intermediary own a network of bars you will go in if it's an AB InBev bar, then the pills will be uh, Jupiler everywhere except for Leuven, where it will be Stella, and then you will have Leffe, and then you will have whatever might be the the ho or whatever, yeah. So you get Goose IPA, for example, in some of the most in some <laughs> of the most traditional Brussels breweries. They have a Goose IPA tap handle with it. So <laughs> whatever wow. it is, um, and then you go fifty meters. Like in my neighborhood of Brussels, for some reason, I think it's because we're on the outskirts, near, near 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 the edge of the city. A lot of the bars will be owned by uh, Palm, so they make Palm special bells, Um and a couple of other beers. So then you go in and the beer is stamina pills, and you've got Palm and then you've got maybe something else, whatever their in-house uh, Abbey beer is. And then another brewery will be from uh, Heineken. So they would have Mass and they would have this, that and the other. Um, generally speaking, that's how it goes. Often what will happen for independent bars is that, the, and I'm sure this probably happens in the US, the brewery will offer to give you the tap installation. They'll install your tap. You have to sell a certain amount of that beer in order for it to be free. And then so long as you hit that target, then you might have two extra taps where they say, you know, serve whatever you want.
2: Huh. So how do like people in Brussels, Brussels if they're like serious beer drinkers, where, where's their go-to place or how do they get together to drink? Is it at people's houses? Is it at cafes? Is it at, you know, pubs? Like what's, what's the culture of beer drinking in terms yeah, of a social aspect?
3: Definitely pubs, cafes, um, I mean, you have the craft beer places the, for the serious craft drinkers, you know. Uh, so Mütter Lambic, um, which has two outlets, one in the center of town and one one uh, in the south of the city, you know, it's a place will be very familiar, the style will be very familiar to the U.S. brewers, um, or to the U.S. market, which is, um, you know, 20, 30 taps, a huge bottle list of very expensive m- beers, um, and that attracts the tourists, but it also attracts the local beer drinkers. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like places where I kind of prefer to drink, the sort of brown cafes, as we would call them, places that are you know wood paneled, a little bit dingy, um, you know, has a regular clientele, has an OK beer menu, so like what we were talking about, one of the places I prefer to drink, they will have Stella on tap for you know a for a 25 centiliter glass of, of beer. But then they will have a tap list that goes all the way through the Trappists. They will have some gurus, and they will have all of the De Sen beers as well. Huh. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a big terrace culture. So as soon as the sun pops, it set out any time between April and May, uh, all the way through to the September, we'll sit outside, you know?
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
3: sort of Belgium has that Belgium kind of, you know, it's got a bit of a, I mean, for a northern European country, it's got a bit of a Mediterranean vibe to it. From a cultural point of view, maybe not from a weather point of view. Yeah, two months out of <laughs> the year, has that vibe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so two months that's... out of the year, it's just like Spain, but then the other eight months, or the other ten months, like Spain, with bad weather. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's it. And you still, have, like, you still have these really nice pockets of untouched kind of Brussels, traditional drinking culture here, which are places that have a couple of taps and then just bottles you know because the tradition here would, would would have been much more like bottle beers rather than taps
2: mhm
3: cake cake beer for the obvious reason i mean most of the most yeah. of the beers would be refermented in the bottle so you know and they have that sort of you have that theater and the, especially when it comes to gurus and lambic you know the
2: the popping of the bottle and
3: the serving yeah. it and all yeah yeah
2: opening up a cork and cage always feels special
3: exactly yeah and then you have you know the lambic baskets and uh <laughs> Especially the way you have to pour it, um, you know, and you know, it says it on the it says it on the bottle of bruxalensis that we're drinking, um, you know, leave the leave the you know, serve this so that the yeast stays in the bottom of the glass or in the bottom of, of the bottle, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, so, which, so I guess Chad, you t- you touched on it a little bit, but it's kind of interesting. You moved from from Tampa, sorry, Saint Petersburg, Florida to to Brussels. So beer city to beer city, but completely different styles, right? So I guess surprises that you when you moved to Brussels, I mean, what your expectations were, which I assume was, you know, everyone's walking around drinking Cantillon all day to what actually happened. Was it was was that a shock or
1: Um, maybe not a shock, but just uh it was it was very interesting and I was eager to, you know, to kind of learn about the beer culture here, you know, I was so excited to go to Cantillon for the first time. Uh, then, you know, you, you go to Cantillon and everybody there uh, is basically, uh, you know, tourists um, who are coming in either on a tour or because they've read that Cantillon is, you know, the place you have to go for beer in Brussels. Or it's the folks who are on that beer pilgrimage that are there and they're, you know, bellied up at a table and they're just drinking bottle after bottle after bottle because that yep. might be the only time to go. Um I I can't think that I've ever been there, um, and, and you know we've probably been six or seven times now. And I can't think that there's ever been a table of locals, right, of people, yeah. uh, just you know local folks who live in Brussels that just go to Cantillon's, you know, um, tasting room to to drink Atlantic. Uh, it just yeah. doesn't doesn't happen like that, right? It's a mostly tourist um but it's still uh, it's a lot of fun as as an american uh you know beer geek uh who is over here and you know in what i consider some of the best beer in the world not just the lambics but you know the trappists and you know all the the blondes and the doubles and the triples and whatnot it is it's it's a phenomenal um to be right and going back to the the cafe culture you know i um i do public transit to to work most of the time and i pass by Three cafes um, from the tram stop here to the uh, apartment, and pretty much every afternoon it's the same people who are who are sitting out there, you know, having their glass of Jupiler or Stella, um, just hanging out. So it's very, very much a neighborhood, um, you know. We call cafe, but in, in, you know, back home we would call it a bar. Um, just sitting out, yeah. you know, patio, um, having their beer, um, and it's you know. But you're not going to see them drinking a Cantillon, uh, <laughs> you know, or a Um, <laughs> uh, You know, they're out there drinking. They're loggers and uh, just having having a good time, enjoying life.
3: Yeah, to my eternal shame, Chad is absolutely right. He's been to can- in the twelve months that we've known each other. He's been to Canty on more times than I have. Um, <laughs> than I have in the last two years because you know it's like when it's on your doorstep, you don't have that like push, and also the fact that they're open up at five o'clock. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. there's only well, so many lunches liquid- I can do in Canty on before uh, my my my, my full time employers will be questioning my.
0: Uh, work ethic dedication
2: yeah so i i would definitely say that if you're a lover of especially alambic and um can beer getting in america obviously you have to usually get it through secondary market uh or if you know happen to know a friend you know who may be doing a podcast with you currently who can send it to you but obviously getting that stuff is very very challenging here but when we get it it's like it's like gold is there anything that at least maybe people in Brussels or people that you guys run around with and know that look for from American beers that they're like, I can't wait to try this or I want to get some of that.
3: Um, yeah. Any of that either. I mean, we're at the sort of two ends of the spectrum. Some of that mixed fermentation stuff. So, you um, Farmstead did a collaboration with Cantillon, an event with Cantillon last year. So every, every three years or every two years, Cantillon do an event called Quintessence where they collaborate with um, a brewer of their choice and they can pick any brewer they want to collaborate with in the world. So they did it with Hill Farmstead and the city was full of Hill Farmstead for that whole week, and People just went.
2: Wow. (sighs) Because you never
3: see it. Um, Yeah. There are are beers that you just will never see. Jester King is another one. They were at um, Brussels Beer Festival, which is an annual festival every August. They were pouring at that for two days. I was working on the as a volunteer on their stand. Um, <laughs> well done. Was, yeah, yeah, I know. Fortuitous um, and Black Label uh, or Black uh, uh, another mixed fermentation U.S. brewery. But yeah, the queue never stopped. Black you know? Project. Black Project. That was it. Black Project.
2: Queue never stopped. I think you I, I think I saw Cantillon just recently advertised. I think they're going to do that Quintessence with Russian River
0: and Allagash yeah. and Allagash
2: and Allegash yeah and i actually got <laughs> to talk be... to i talked to jason perkins the brewer at allegash about that specific project cuz oh, really? i was out at the main brewers retreat with jason perkins and vinny both now vinny is obsessed with speaking about brett vinny is obsessed with brett um yeah. he he started out uh, his parents were in the wine industry uh, out in sonoma county so that's how he really got into beer and brewing but um Jason Perkins was talking specifically about how excited he was to redo that project because it was something that they had done previously, but they did it over in Belgium, but this is going to be something where I think they might be coming to the U S to do some of it too. (laughs) So there's going to be a little bit more, um, work together to, to bring that again. So that's exciting.
3: Yeah. I mean, John is usually over in the U S for a Shelton festival, which is usually towards the second half of the year. Um, And yeah, I think tickets tickets for the for the Hill Farmstead one sold out. I think in the space of maybe fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, And I didn't. I managed to, you know, the way it works: friend of a friend, nudge on the nudge on the shoulder, get get a ticket. Um, But these tickets will sell out like immediately. Yeah, the brewery is insane on those days. It's just it's just crazy. And, And you know those those beers, but also you do from the craft beer crap geek community, those kind of New England IPAs, the original and best New England IPAs are kind of that other side of the spectrum that people are really interested in getting. Like we got a shipment of Heady Topper Ooh. In, I think last month because uh, the killer beer celebration in Copenhagen was on, so I think they shipped over a lot of beer and then distributed around some of it around some, some of their markets. So that was like, wow, you know, get down there as soon as you can. Um... Because you just you just don't see it, and Belgian brewers, I mean, they make lots of lambics, they make lots of spontaneous fermentation, but they don't really make New England IPAs.
2: Yeah. So, what do uh, what, do, especially the brewers, I guess, but people in Belgium, Brussels specifically, think about all the you know, like American attempts at doing you know lambics because you know they've <laughs> coined, they've coined this thing that method traditional, especially like Jester King has done that.
0: Oh, yeah, now you've opened a can of worms. I know, I know. I, I was bound, yeah, I had to wait until we had that's a couple what this beers. Is for, though. Yeah. I was waiting for
1: a I'm couple of beers to brass up.
3: Not getting into that. I'm not getting into that. Look, I, yeah, we
1: will leave. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll let Owen kind of keep his journalistic integrity uh, there. So I can just say that there are some uh, some pretty fun Facebook uh, groups uh, that, if you want to follow about lambic, that uh, are are busting on that what they call Amlam uh, all the yeah. time. American lambic Amlam. Um, and uh, I will say, without naming any names, a very uh, prominent uh, blendery owner uh, here in the area <laughs> is uh, very much involved in uh, the jokes about MLAM. Uh, so it's 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 funny here, uh, but at the same time, uh, I think, you know, th- there are some seriousness there, but it's also tongue-in-cheek. Because as Owen mentioned, you know, Jester King was invited to Brussels Beer Fest uh, last year, uh, and, you know, welcomed with open arms I mean you know good beer is good beer yeah. uh, I think ultimately you know folks here who uh like beer uh, are not going to be upset with you know folks like jester King making that style as long as you don't call it lambic that's yeah. when they get yeah. a little crazy uh, yeah right, at least right it's a protected term um but you know the the method traditional and whatnot again it's there's some joking and you know on the surface people be upset um but if you're doing it right um, and you're following the rules, uh, you know that exist here about how, um, you know, what you can and cannot call the beer. Uh, I think folks are are pretty okay with it. So, yeah, I
0: think I do. I do want to let uh, you guys know. So just last weekend at Ryan's house, I was talking to one of Ryan's buddies, so who didn't care anything about lambics, didn't care anything about it until he grabbed an Allagash Cool Cool Ship Resurgum. and now he loves lambics. And we started talking about uh, Boone Goose, yeah, so Boone. so let Frank know that uh, <laughs> that the that the Allagash uh, cool ship Resurgum, which Allagash's whole thing, as you can tell, Allagash obviously loves you know Brussels and Belgium and Belgian they love beer. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're traditionally
2: can, a yeast Belgian like yeah. style and yeast driven beer. Yeah,
0: so 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 the it was a gateway it was a gateway beer to Goose for, yeah, for and an I think American.
3: It, but what saying is is absolutely right. You know the guys who are welcomed with open arms are the ones who respect the, tra- respect the tradition, expand on that tradition, but without diluting the original um, idea yeah. behind it. Yeah. You know, so I talked to Jeff from, from Jester King for, for an, an article once, and he was, you know, the first day, the first time he ever gave his beer to um, Jean Valmois from Cantillon, you know, was really like, oh my God, is, you know, what's he going <laughs> to going to like it. And that whole method, Gourou's method, traditional thing, that, one of the reasons why that caused so much let's say up, not uproar, because Belgian brewers aren't really inclined towards uproar, but like upset, was he had cleared that with Jean from Cantillon. But uh, what sometimes I think maybe US brewers don't realize is that the Belgian Islamic community is not really it's not unified. Let's put it like that. They have yeah. the is the High Council for Lambic, which you know helps with the lobbying and support for for Lambic. But you know, within that, you have people who have very different attitudes to the tradition. So you'll have people like Jean from Cantillon, who will never climate control his brewery because he feels that that would be a diversion from you know the original intentions. And then you have somebody like Pierre Tilcan from 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 Tilcan. Who is absolutely happy to do that? And then you have people like the um, Cam, which is maybe not a brewery that you get very much over there, but uh, Carol from the Cam, who is very sort of dogmatic in his approach to Lambic. Um, and he, like, for example, goes on draft.
0: I saw which that. Is something that has, yeah.
3: Which has been innovated recently and has caused a huge rift. Well, huge. It's caused a rift between some of the Lambic producers to the point where a couple of breweries have left the Lambic group. Um so you know, if you get your <laughs> method traditional approved by one brewer, it doesn't necessarily mean that the other brewers are gonna be aligned. <laughs> like they're all they're the most stubborn, um driven individualistic brewers that you have, you know. They yeah. all have a vision, it's all very aesthetic. Sure. Um you know they all know what they want to do, they all know what they think of lambic is, and it doesn't always align with what you say. what other people think and they don't really
0: care so we keep talking about lambic should we drink one (laughs) let's do it let's do it all right
2: i mean i don't have a basket i don't i mean (laughs) i really appreciate that um that you guys are going to do it in real style if there's one beer toy or piece of equipment that i don't have in my bar it is a lambic basket which is very sad
1: (laughs) Evan, whenever we come back to the states uh, in a few years, I will have many. I purchased <laughs> another one today at a flea market, so I am growing the collection. So we might be able to get one uh, up to Illinois uh, sometime soon. Well, you know, I mean, lambic baskets are for this sort of, uh, this sort of
3: intermediate lambic beer drinker. What you really want to show if you're if you're a professional is one of those 19th century corking machines, <laughs> which is some sort of uh, industrial contraption of removing the cork. Um, oh wow!
0: Oh, I saw that.
1: I looked for one at the flea market all day today,
3: not find one. <laughs> yeah, and you I mean you'll see the videos online of, uh, you know, someone like Armand de Belder from Three Fontana showing you, you know, how to pour the right glass of lambic. <laughs> um, oh, into, into the lambic. Look at that. Yeah, I got I got
2: a great picture of that. Don't yeah, worry, Chad. Thank you for demonstrating. And looks like you got a traditional lambic um, glass too. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love from, these from um, it's not like it's just any lambic glass.
2: <laughs> no, it? that is that <laughs> is what we call over here proper glassware.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but I love these glasses because, I mean, okay, it's it's this one is quite chunky, but this is what you would serve a, a Pils or a Lager beer in as well, you know? Yeah. Uh, like a traditional Stella would come in a glass just like that. It doesn't have that kind of – I know the chalice is something that they try and push yeah. you know, outside of Belgium, but that kind of um, – that wouldn't fly in Brussels.
2: All right. So again, this is the the Couvet Armand and Gaston. So tell us a little bit a abo- little bit about this, Owen.
3: Um yeah, Three Fontaine, they're a really interesting brewery. so They've been they've been well, Armand de Belder who who was up until last year the owner of the company and is sort of taken on a sort of uh, advisory position as of now. Um Someone who, when he sold his brewery, told the um, the new owners or the new the new managers that he would not get involved unless they did dra- lambic on draft, or- <laughs> and if they did, then they would avoided his uh, avoided the agreement, and he would come back. Wow. Um So they've been he's been blending since the eighties, and they were a blendery right up until the mid nineties or the early two thousands. And they would uh, like a lot of uh, lambic blenders source their lambic from. The different lactic producers taking it into their own barrels and then blended it themselves. I mean, that's outside of the breweries. That's the traditional way of doing it. Um, the most interesting thing about these guys is about ten years ago, nine years ago, they had a catastrophic um, thermostat failure in their in their um, in their warehouse, which resulted in thousands of bottles exploding and. Um, oh, yeah going off in the bottle to the point where the business was almost, yeah, bankrupt, almost, they almost went out of business. Um, and since then, I think they have, of, of all of the Lambic breweries, really ridden, ridden the wave of interest in Lambic now, because they recovered, they built, um, they rebuilt their warehouse, they built a new um, <laughs> Lambic. I think the best thing you could describe it is as, a, as a Lambic experience Place yeah. is called the Ecodrome, which uh, we talked about. We talked about tap rooms and that not being really a tradition here in Belgium, but that really is probably, I think, one of the nicest places to go and drink lambic. In, yeah, I think
0: that's maybe Chad's favorite place. If it's not his favorite, am I speaking yeah, for you, Chad? Your favorite place to go?
1: Definitely the favorite place to go to to drink lambic. Um, and like I said, it's it's more of a, an experience um and j- just the nicest folks uh you know working there as well we've had uh excellent experience every time that we've been there uh and, and it is more like a a tasting room that you know folks that you know in, uh, accustomed to craft beer breweries back in the states would experience uh, a number of large tables and you know you could just buy bottle after bottle and sit there uh and drink Every, I think it's they have their open beer days two times a year or three times a year. Yeah, they have an open beer day and then they have this thing
3: called the spelling of a lot. So the, the, what would be the twist of fate? Not twist of fate, but choice of fate, where they um, produce where they their special grape lambics and other kind of experimental lambics. Um, and it's you can get to it from Brussels by a train, which is for the for the lambic breweries not the easiest always but it's literally a five minute walk from a train station which is maybe 20 minutes by train from right. Brussels, which makes it really easy to get to um and as as saying really nice people open they also produce a pill so if you go there with people who don't like to drink lambic oh do they really
2: they, oh wow yeah.
1: they don't yeah. brew it out
3: they don't brew it there or they don't brew it in their own brewery but they contract brewery they contract it out to somebody else and um, but you know business is business
1: yeah no, that's and, and they also have uh have you know Cheese and some jams made with uh, their beer. goose and uh, I think Creek. Um, so you can actually, you know, get a little bit of food there, uh, hang out for a few hours, uh, drink in bottles. Uh, it's a really nice place. I would definitely recommend anyone uh, that's here doing some beer tourism uh, make uh, Tree Fontaine a, a must do, not a hope to do. Um, if you're going to go to Cantillon, you got to go to Tree Fontaine. No, so, this is great. Yeah, and this is
2: I love that. That, you know, dry hay that you always get with a real good, you know, traditional uh, goose.
0: This would be a great entry-level goose because this is, is yeah. really drinkable. This it's one is... not
2: super acidic. No. Like, I feel Mm-mm. like a lot of them can be. And I, yeah, I know that like, a lot good. of American Lambic-style beers yeah. tend to sometimes be a little bit overly acidic. But this has got a lot of nice balance.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Drief they're very clean. Um, yeah, that's you, a good word for it. The likes of Drief Fontaine and Bone... They're very, I mean, their their production, everything is very on point and it's very clean. As you said, it's very approachable. It's obviously a good, it's got lovely tartness, funkiness, you know, a bit of fruitiness too. Um, but it's not like, I mean, something like, I think probably, you know, if you're getting into this, start off with something like, like a bone or a three fontana and then move towards like a cantillon. Because they're they're a little bit more assertive in their in their in their acidity, and then assertive. if you really want to explore the outer boundaries of, of your of your capacity to drink sour beer, move on to things like the truck or some of the more like Hansen, some of the more artisanal, and by artisanal I mean like very small and you know not laissez faire, but you know yeah they take a less regimented view of the production of lambic.
0: So so yeah, so your are yeah. different from bottle. I do have a. Uh, I've got a Durank. Is it technically a lambic? The Durank that I've got, that I would have got. That's
3: really—it's really
0: interesting. Um, it's called Miracle.
3: Is that the bottle that you have?
0: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: no, it's, it's. I had a bottle. I had a bottle of Durank lambic um, in Amsterdam last weekend. Okay. And I think that's a really interesting trend because you're starting to see brewers who don't brew lambic get interested in spontaneous fermentation. So Durank is an obvious one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: A couple of others who are kind of dipping their toes in maybe not putting in a cool ship, but you know, trying out some, you know, just letting it ferment by itself and seeing what happens. Uh-huh. Um, and, and for obvious reasons, again, because it, it makes money, you know, yeah, yeah. Don't know what could fire into a bottle and people would buy it. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, uh, in I'm a home brewer and I will tell you. Owen and Chad, right now I do actually have a Belgian wit in my fermenter, so hoping for a <clears throat> a nice five-gallon batch of a Belgian wit, much in the style of Allagash White. Um, I was sort of just smitten once again when I was out in Maine by um, how good that beer actually is. If you've ever had Allagash White, it's one of those classic Belgian wits, so I was like, well, summer's here and I want a keg of this on tap at home, so that's what I'm going to do um i've always been a fan of belgian beers if uh we want to find you um obviously we talked about brussels beer seed i think i've already tagged you a couple times uh both on facebook and instagram correct
3: Mm-hmm. and twitter as well you can find me at owen walsh i, I can spell it if, if you want i have an irish name it's always very difficult to uh, to pronounce it yeah. uh e-o-g-h-a-n walsh which should be more familiar to your American listeners.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why. That's why initially I was like Ian, right? Uh, I tried to like make their, make the E a little bit more prominent. But um, yeah. I must say this was a big treat having you join us, and especially for our first transatlantic podcast. I think that was uh, uh, you couldn't ask for anything better, and uh, you have a great wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it.
0: Wait, we we can't wrap this up without you guys talking about your. Uh, ideal four pack. Well, ideal four pack, but also your event coming up with the Tour de France. It's amazing that the four of us have not talked about cycling yet. <laughs> but you, you got to give a minute for that.
3: Yeah. Okay. So the reason that Chad and I and Chad's wife Amy met was I did a an event last summer, uh, beer and cycling, beer beer and cycling pairing, which was finding uh, Belgian beers. That had a connection with cycling, drinking them, talking about the brewing process, and talking about cycling. Was it the first event under the Brussels beer? That was my first event, and it was the first event that they came to. Um, And it turned out subsequently that we are slavish fans of the same UK cycling podcast. Uh, And the Tour de France starts in Brussels um, next week. Next weekend. So we have two stages, Saturday and Sunday. uh, One of which will actually pass next door to my house. Um, Oh wow! And I thought, why not? get in touch with the cycling podcast, ask if they want to come over, um, and they did. And the obvious connection to me then was, well, let's do it in a brewery. Sure. So we got in touch with Brussels Beer Project, which have a, a tap room in the city and a little brewery behind. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to host the the event there, Friday evening on the 5th of July. It's going to be a lot of fun. They have uh, a cannibal. so anybody who's interested in cycling will know that that is the nickname of Eddie Merckx. Yep. Uh, and the reason why the tour is in Brussels this year is because it's the 50th anniversary of his first Tour de France <laughs> victory. <coughs> there, we're gonna we're gonna put together a rattler as well. So they've they've got a pills that they're gonna blend with some some lemon juice. So we're gonna do that because rattler is the original cycling beer. Ah. Oh wow! I'm gonna we'll, we'll probably do a cycling saison as well. So from a, from a collaboration they did. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think we're gonna drink a lot of beers. Uh, I'm really just hoping sound will work. i do not going to have a full house but I think it's going to
0: be a lot of fun. Chad's going to help you out, right?
3: Chad said uh, he will hold the microphone for the cue. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, yeah.
0: and then Chad will be the, the American to say, uh, so TJ is going to win. Yeah. So
2: He's going to be the lone TJ um, yeah. you know, sort of push yeah. and, uh, and, and get the, get the American yeah, names out there.
1: You have your TJ T-shirt that you can bring I with you. Do. I don't have a TJ I T-shirt. A TJ. Pa- however, <laughs> I do have EF Education First uh, T-shirt that I will be wearing.
0: Uh, excellent, excellent.
3: Well, I have a Sunweb casket that I was gonna wear, but now that uh, Tom Dumoulin is in it, and my my knowledge of that of that of that team doesn't extend much beyond him. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: there's probably not a lot of bigger fans than. You know, Brian, uh, Joel, probably, and I here in at least Peoria, when it comes to the Tour de France, we usually, at least we've always tried to host some pretty good parties, um, or at least if we celebrate it with my kids. My kids love watching it. So I'll definitely plan to, one, pop a very good, at least, Belgian uh, beer uh, for Saturday, Sunday for both things. Um, So look out for those.
0: Now I'm just thinking about drinking terrace bull and watching the tour all all weekend. <laughs> I know, I <laughs> know.
2: I'm
3: amazed. It's like uh, Brussels Beer Project is the only brewery in the city who have latched on to the to the to the to the hook that there's going to be uh, how many how many thousand cycling fans in the city, and they're all just going to want to drink beer and Belgian yep. beer because you know, everybody loves Belgian beer. So yeah, anyway.
2: yeah and and Perfect. and there's probably not a whole lot more than beer that Belgians like more than cycling. Right. Oh so. yeah.
3: I mean. Like I do maybe we will we'll wrap up then, but like you know, the, the two things that that I have taken on. I've been living in Brussels for 10, 10 years, living in Belgium for ten years. The two things that I have latched onto are cycling and beer and football to an extent, but obviously I've divided loyalties because Ireland
2: still has a football team, but no cycling.
3: <laughs> um, so it's unavoidable, you know.
2: Yeah. Um, if you could quick, and this could be style only. But both of y'all give us our best idea of your ideal four pack. If you were stranded on a desert island, you had four styles of beer to drink. Um, they can all be like four different styles of lambics, if you want. But what would those be?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll go first. Uh, I love a good zin beer, so a good pale ale, with you know five six percent alcohol, framboise. So from was a raspberry infused lambic, nice. a, 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 Razz- okay. in a Pilsner Urquell, oh, probably one of my favorite beers of all time. And uh, the last one is a good question. Um, probably something something strong and alcoholic, like uh, a barley like wine. A, well, I was going to say barley well, yeah, <laughs> maybe a Westmalle double. Yeah. It's not that strong. But I love the I love uh, the the prunes and the alcohol and the sugar.
1: Um, it's always a beer that that does me well. Awesome. Yes, for, for me it's uh, probably going to be a little more boring. So because I don't get a lot of it here, I'm always craving a nice uh, New England uh, IPA. So I would definitely go with uh, some a Juice Bomb there. Um, I gotta you know pay respect to my uh, Tampa Bay uh, area breweries with a good pastry stout would definitely be uh, in the mix. <laughs> Um uh, for sure uh just a simple Belgian blonde uh a single if you will uh and then uh you know m- my favorite uh, lambic that I'm drinking right now is Pinot Gris from uh from Tilcan. I-, I would uh take every bottle that I could find of that uh, and store it away forever. So
0: if I could Chad since I know you uh I'm going to say your Hazy IPA would be dinner from Maine. Is
1: that okay? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and that's
2: and that's not even that hazy anymore.
1: Not, Not that easy, but that, you're right. And That's we just awesome.
2: and we just got a um, a nice shipment from <clears throat> a very kind um, person, David, out in Maine, who dropped us uh, a couple of the Hoppy Pills from yep. Maine Beer Company and the second dinner. And I think those have been my two favorite beers this weekend that I had. I mean, yeah, the, the hoppy, hoppy Pills, pills was excellent. just like that. It went down like yeah, that. It that was just was beer. crushable. And that second dinner I had last night was just on point. So on you- point.
0: See, I'm going to try to pick Chad's uh, Chad's pastry stout. Are you going to go barrel aged uh, German chocolate cake from Angry Chair?
1: I mean, that's a little over the top.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, for like a pastry stout? I mean, it's going to be hot. It's going
1: to be, you know, yeah, you're going to be drinking. I, I, I still have one, by the way, um, that I, yeah. Uh, and maybe I could uh, maybe adjust my, that one, maybe not a pastry stout, but just a good barrel aged stout, right? I just, I, I enjoy Some cycle. a simple. Barrel-aged stout, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, one thing about living in St. Pete is that I had access to to cycle beers uh, at will, and, man, they are just so, so good. Uh, and I can't wait. We're actually going back um, to, to St. Pete in August, uh, and I will latch on to, to every bottle that I can get uh, to get back in my suitcase to bring back over here. I have to say, that is the best thing about knowing these two
3: is that the second time we <laughs> did bottle share and they brought cycle brewing, they brought Hunapu, they was like... You know, it's like the beers that I, I hadn't heard much about cycle beforehand, but it was just like it was. The, well, Why are these beers? Where where, yeah. where have
1: they been all of my life?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that.
1: that's one good thing about being like the uh, the random American in a lot share. of these bottle shares that they count on me to bring a uh, a bottle of a barrel aged something stout. Uh, so it's 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 always a, a hit whenever because uh, they know what we're what we're bringing.
2: Cool. That's awesome. Um, I can't thank uh, Owen and Chad enough for um, carving out a little bit of their Sunday evening. Um, This was a nice Sunday afternoon for Brian and I, but thanks for joining
0: us.
3: Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks so much.
0: All right, guys. All right, cheers. Take care.